Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Paul, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Yes, sir. Um, I've got a room that's got a light switch in it. There's no outlet in the top of the ceiling. And it's a house we bought about seven years ago. And I've checked every outlet in the room. There's nothing that it attaches to. How would I go about finding out? I think it's been covered up by the sheetrock. And uh, how would I go about finding out how to find that? Uh, it's got wires. The plug is hot or the, the switch is hot. Hmm. Got any ideas? You know, older homes, a lot of times they had it in an outlet like you were checking um, but did you check both top and bottom on the plugs? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, and sir. the reason I asked that, I, I have found it in, in some cases where they would tie power from the switch to just half of the outlet, and then the other half would stay on all the time. So you have to check both top and bottom. If If you're tracing down the wire, they do make tracers that you can hook around the wire where it's coming out and literally use a wand to follow where the wire goes. Okay. Uh, but typically it's going to be an electrician that's going to have to do that because to, to buy that equipment for a one-time use just wouldn't make sense. Right. I've heard of, like, toning it out or doing something like that. I used yeah. to work for the phone company years ago, and we did things like that. But I thought you had to have a connection wherever that's at. In other words, the wires couldn't just be open. Well, you'd, so. you'd have to be – if you can open up the – end where the switch is, you could actually hook uh -huh. on to the wire there and be able to follow it. You're, you're talking about you thought you had to have a closed loop for it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. If it's if it's hooked up anywhere, you should be able to trace it that way. Um, at the very least, the ground probably is. Okay. Um, can I ask you one other question? Absolutely. Okay. Um, in the kitchen... <laughs> Uh, whenever you go to use the little sprayer, uh -huh. um, it doesn't want to seem like it wants to switch back and forth between the actual uh, faucet and the right. sprayer. It takes a little while, and it'll it sounds almost like a water hammer. Yep. But what's what's usually the cause of that? There, tip when you squeeze the trigger on the sprayer, there mm -hmm. is a. Easy terms to use it is there's basically a flapper that moves to divert the uh -huh. water. Okay. And so when you let the trigger off, the flapper moves back. If it doesn't get used very often, you know, it, it can start building up deposits on it where it doesn't work properly. And it sounds like yours is sticking a little bit to where it's taking some pretty good pressure before it flips over. Okay. And, uh, is there and all you and what you're it? hearing is literally a water hammer because because when the flat flapper moves and and I know that's not the right term but when the flapper moves, uh, mm -hmm. it is slamming the water. Okay, okay. Is there a way to replace that or to? Uh... Uh, typically, my experience has been you just replace the faucet. Now there may be something different to it, but I've never I've never bothered checking into it. When I run into stuff like that, I just replace the faucet. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You've been very helpful. You bet. Greg. Jim. How are you? My mother's house 
had the foundation foundation repaired, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. Okay. And, and they solved the, the foundation problem, but not the source. So water is running underneath the house, under the garage, and is, has eroded out the, the dirt below the foundation. And on the edge, it's easy, but in the middle, it's a little, little more difficult to fill that back in. So I was thinking some of the concrete raising type material, just go in and drill and pump that in. Is that a good idea, or is there a better option? Well, let me ask you a question. You said that the, the underpinning has solved the foundation problem, so the foundation's not moving any longer, correct? Foundation appears to be stable. Then why are we worried about the void? Uh, it's just a big hole underneath the... The house? Doesn't hurt a thing. Doesn't hurt a thing. Okay. Nope. Fair enough. And, and if you'll think about what causes most foundation problems, the soils, when they dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand again. The problem with filling voids, years ago, and I'm, I'm going back, you know, 25, 30 years ago, when foundation repair was done, they would pump slurries in there to fill those voids. And what kept happening is every time the weather cycles changed, the foundations would continue to move because you filled that void that allowed the soil to expand and contract without moving the foundation. And so nowadays, we don't fill those voids so that the soil can do what it wants without moving the home. You just have to make sure you got enough underpinning under the home to support it all. And it sounds like you do. Okay. So basically, I just need to fill up around where it's around the edge of the, of yep. the slab and then fix a, fix it so the water doesn't run that way anymore. Correct. Yeah. Perfect. Good news. Thanks. All righty. Take care. And that is a whole lot easier than trying to fill the voids in inside. I mean, the way they used to fill those voids is you go in and you drill holes and pump mud through and stuff. And yes, it would fill the voids. But like I said, you're putting it right back on the moving soil. Rusty, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Yeah, my wife and I are thinking about buying a home and having it moved to our property. Um, it's about a 1,400-square-foot house, and we're just interested, and in, we don't know a whole lot about it. What kind of challenges would we might run into by doing that? You know, as far as setting the house up, it's it's not that big a deal. Uh, I'm assuming this is a house that was a block and base or pier and beam? Yes, sir. Okay, so you know, you'll they'll go out, measure, set up the new foundation for it, and then bring the house in. The hardest parts are typically uh, running the house down the road, you know, clearing all the power lines and tree limbs and things like that to be able to bring it down the roads. But there's house movers out there like Cherry House Movers. They do a great job of it. I've We've used their services before to move structures for us, and uh, I would highly recommend you call them. Yeah, they're actually the ones that are going to be handling this for us. Yeah. So that's good news. So would you recommend a, like a crushed concrete base underneath the house to set it on or a concrete slab? Well, it, it depends. What what was it sitting on before? A uh, slab. If it was sitting on a slab, by all means, put a slab back down. Okay. But if it's not, crushed concrete would be fine if something was, if I'm not right about that? Well, what I... If I was going to be moving and setting up a new block and base or pier and beam house, if if I wasn't going to set it on a concrete slab, I would mound the dirt up a little bit so right. that it's sitting up on top of a little hill. So as the ground around it uh, over ages of time fills in, I'm not having a lake under the home. 
Right. And I don't know that I'd put rock or or uh, underneath it. And the main reason is, it, remember, the only way to work on anything under that house is going to be to crawl around under it. Right. And have you ever crawled down a gravel driveway? Okay, makes sense. Yeah, so I, I would just mount the dirt up a little bit and, and deal with it that way if I wasn't going to put concrete. Okay, sounds good. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. You bet. Take care. You too. And I'm just thinking about the poor guy like myself who goes underneath these homes and ooh, crawling down that gravel just doesn't sound fun. My AC outside drain line is dripping right against my foundation. I have a hairline crack in the sheetrock in my shower that's right where the drain line drips. You said this could be a problem because of how much water is being deposited into my soil right here from the water. How can I remedy the situation Thank you, Merle. Well, Merle, if it's just dripping, uh, you can hook up another line and extend it further out away from the foundation. If you can get that line, you know, five to ten foot away from the foundation, you'll do yourself a world of good. Because what happens when the when the air conditioner is dripping that way? It's dropping anywhere from five to fifteen gallons a day into the soil in that one spot and the rest of the soil around the house could be drying out that one stop spot stays expanded because it's got a moisture source now if you had more water than that say we got a 15 or 30 gallon dropping which is not normal but let's just say we do now the soil starts taking on too much moisture it starts turning to mush and it no longer supports the foundation so you can have both problems happen. It initially swells up and picks the foundation up, and it's not unusual that it'll pick it up an inch and a half or more. Then it turns to mush and starts dropping, and where it stops, nobody knows. It depends on how big of area turns to mush. So uh, your easiest fix, like I said, just extend that pipe out away from the foundation. Get it 5 to 10 feet away, and you'll be doing much better. I'm in the process of buying a house in Midland, and the seller is paying up to $500 for a warranty. I'm trying to figure out which warranty company would be the best to consider since this is being offered. The roof has been replaced within the past year, and the water heater has been replaced within the last two years. The house was built in 1978, if that makes any difference. Richard. Well, if you've listened to the show any amount of time, you'll know... I am not a huge fan of home warranties. However, if you're buying a house and the seller's going to pay for it anyways, go ahead and take it. Now, as far as who, most realtors have companies that they will work with and will recommend. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the one that I have actually done stuff for. It begins with an R, and all of a sudden, I have forgotten the name of the, the warranty company. But in general, here's what's going to happen. That first year, they pay for it. It's relatively inexpensive. They're going to offer you a renewal, and each year, that renewal goes up drastically in cost. And it gets to the point where it just plain doesn't make sense to have it. And in most cases, if you will take the same dollar amount that you're going to pay to have that warranty company do work for you, you would be able to pay to have the work done. Because keep in mind, 
they've got to pay somebody. The numbers in the long run have to work out. And if they didn't, the warranty companies wouldn't be doing it. Now, one thing, one of the reasons I don't uh, particularly care for warranty companies, I'm going to use an air conditioner as an example. You have an air conditioner that gets a hole in the coils. They can pay to have somebody repair the, the, the hole. Everything's great. I got no problem with that. When it comes time, though, that the coil cannot be repaired, and we're talking, say, a 12-year-old system, and they're going to pull the coil, have a new coil installed rather than replacing the entire system, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Because you're going to put so much into fixing a problem and just to have other parts of the air conditioner go bad, your money is better off going into just replacing the entire system. And where I really run into the issue with them isn't so much that part of it, but the part where they won't let you take what would have gone into fixing it and putting it into a new system with you paying the difference. Some companies will, some won't. That's where you need to ask the questions. If a company will let you apply their portion for the repair to replacement, that's the one I would go with because not all of them will do that. But again, watch the renewals. It gets to the point where it is cheaper for you to set the money aside and pay for all the repairs yourself than to let a warranty company do it because they just charge out the yin-yang. Doug, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Hey, how you doing today? Thank you. Um, say, looking at uh, building an Adobe home, and you were talking about foundations, and I just want to get your take on a foundation for an Adobe and uh, pros and cons that you might think would be good for an Adobe. Well, I guess the first question I have is, why do you want to build Adobe? Um, might be a little more cost-effective as far as heating and cooling, um, fireproof, um, looking at those things. Plus, I think it would be aesthetically uh, pleasing in the area that I'm going to be building in. And where's that? Uh, the Lower Hill Country of uh, Lampasas. Okay. Okay, so yeah, it would fit into the architecture out there in landscape very nicely then. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, as far as a foundation for one, the foundation's really not going to change any different for Adobe-type construction than it would for any other because you want to put something under it solid enough so that if there was ever any movement, uh, it could be addressed without tearing up the entire structure. You know, we, we were talking about this in our office yesterday, uh, the fact that in the last 20 years, they're making the foundations a lot stiffer than they used to be. And does that help with foundation problems? It does, because as the outside soils, and that's typically what happens is the soils on the outside around the perimeter start drying out, uh, edges would drop. Well, the slabs are so stiff now that the soil is having to reach way inside the home before the outside edge starts to drop now. Uh, so it does give you the opportunity to keep the soils moist, keep things expanded. An adobe home is not going to take a whole lot of movement to create cracks. And so you're going to want a very stiff, solid foundation to hold it in place. The typical areas where adobe homes are built 
virtually have no foundation problems because of the type of soils they're in. Uh, most of Texas, though, we we don't have that luxury unless we go way out west Texas, and even those areas do have pockets of bad soils. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as far as saving money on, on uh, energy bills and stuff like that, an Adobe Home actually does do very well on that, but you can do the same thing with other types of construction. Uh, you hit the, the right nail on the head when you mentioned the aesthetics and stuff. I mean... It, it's a standalone when it comes to the aesthetics. It, 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 there's not another type of construction that's going to give you that look that the Adobe does. The only thing you want to be cautious of, in some drier climates, they'll mix a lot more clay into the outside because they just don't get the rain that would start washing it away. In our in Texas here, we can get some belly washers. And if too much clay is on the outside of it, the clay can soften up and start to run with the heavy downpours of rain. So you want to make sure that they've mixed enough Portland and stuff in it to stiffen it up where it doesn't run. Thanks for listening to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast. Now, I would love your help. If you enjoy listening to Texas Home Improvement anytime you want, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Help us reach more people and grow the show in Texas and beyond. Please visit iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a review. Ah, an upstairs bedroom door will not close but there are no signs of foundation problems. Spring of 2017, the tornado that never happened, according to FloMo PPL, did happen on our house. Took a year, but holes in house, roof, etc. were repaired. Not this problem. I think it should be now this problem has come up. And we are wondering if perhaps the tornado had something shifted in the wood or a second floor and it's just now showing up. We do not know who to call to look at it. Can you help us decide who that should be? What type of contractor or engineer to look at the problem? I think you just hit it right there. You probably need an engineer to come out. Uh, You know, I mentioned uh, before we went to the news, I have a foundation repair company. We'd be happy to look at it for you, but from the description, if you're not having sheetrock cracks and all the other stuff, just a door sticking that way, I seriously doubt that it's from the tornado or the, the wind loads or anything. And I say that because that would also crack the sheetrock. What we see a lot of, and you hit a key thing here, two-story house, and this is on the second floor. Homes, they have spread out the beams so far, the floor joists and stuff. In other words, there's no the, the old structural support walls just aren't there like it used to be. We, we've we've made these vast open spaces on the first floor, and the floor joists aren't large enough to make the spans, and they start sagging. And just a little sag will start causing doors to stick. And I'm betting that's what your issue is. But if you'll go to my website, thipro.com, you're going to find Devers Engineering. And that's what they do is go out all over the state and they do inspections like that uh, to help you determine what's going on. So uh, that's what I would recommend you do is, like I said, go to the website, thipro.com. 
take a look at Deaver's engineering and then have them come out and take a look at it. But I'm sure that's what it's going to be is just that you got some uh, ceiling joists that are sagging. And I know the next question is always, well, what can I do to stop it? Unless you're willing to put a beam across there or something like that, nothing. It will continue to move. Usually it doesn't become a huge issue. You may have to reset that door frame. But other than that, uh, it, it's typically not an issue that you got to worry about the house falling down or anything like that. Uh, but I will tell you this. These houses that they're building with these wide, vast, open areas like that, they are not going to hold up as well as the older homes where you had the individual rooms because all the support that was given with these individual rooms keeps structurally the house better than these vast open areas. Building a new home and needing to decide which foundation to go with, conventional or post-tension, do you have a recommendation or can you share pros and cons of each? Thanks. Well, Jamie, here's here's the deal. All concrete has steel in it to hold it together when it cracks. All concrete's going to get cracks in it. So I don't want you to, to get overly nervous about that. Here's the difference, though, in the, in the two. Conventional rebar, and that's the old-style rebar. When it's put into place, it makes a very rigid foundation. A post-tension foundation has flexibility to it. It was really originally developed for bridges and stuff, so it, it actually has some movement, which doesn't sound bad with the exception of this. When you build a structure on top of it using sheetrock and all the other stuff, that's not meant to have any flexibility, and so it can crack. Now, can you make a post-tension slab that's rigid? Absolutely. And what they do to do that is you run the cables, and yes, they're, they're stretched tight to pull and hold the concrete together. But in the grade beams, they actually put rebar to stiffen things up. So it's a combination of a rebar and a post-tension slab. I will tell you, the, the, when I pour a foundation... I will typically use conventional rebar because I like my concrete to be stiff and move as a complete unit. I don't want it to have any flexibility. Older post-tension slabs had a bigger problem with it because they thought that they could go thinner with the concrete beams. In other words, instead of doing an 18-inch beam, they lowered them down to like 12 and 14 inches. Well, over the years, they've actually gone back to making the, the beams thicker and stuff. And so foundations are more rigid now than they used to be. And would I ever say that I wouldn't buy a house because it's post-tension? Absolutely not. But if I was building a new home from scratch and I had my choice, I would go with a conventional rebar slab. And mostly, again, just because of the rigid the rigidness of it. The other thing is when you build a rebar slab, you put the rebar in there, you tie it together, you pour the concrete, you're done. On a post-tension slab, the cables have to be put in properly. After the concrete is poured, the cables have to be stretched and tightened 
properly, there is too much room for error. And I'm talking human error. People can shortcut and do things that really shouldn't have been done. That's my secondary reason for actually choosing conventional rebar over over a, a post-tension slab. So hopefully that helps you out on picking what you want to use for your new home. Uh, I will tell you, if you buy a track home, they're almost always going to be post-tension. And the main reason, it's a little bit cheaper to do than the conventional rebar. And that was what really got their foothold in the door on homes. Ralph, how can I help you today? Hi, we have a heatilator fireplace insert, uh -huh. and we were wanting to switch that out back to a conventional fireplace and wasn't sure if that was something we could do or if it's permanently attached that way. Is this one that was inserted after the fireplace was originally built? Not sure. It was in the home when we purchased it. Okay. And it looks like it may be... It was inserted when the house was built. Well, yeah, and that's what you're going to have to find out because if it was one that was built in uh, when the house was built, they maybe didn't even do a uh, chimney all the way out. And in other words, you wouldn't have any place for the heat to escape or okay. a proper chimney. Now, you can have a chimney sweep come out and check it, and he'd be able to tell you, yes, this was added, or, yes, they did put full ventilation for it and everything. Because it, it, my my reluctance to say, yes, go ahead and do it, is in some of those, when they were built in, when the house was originally built, even though it has a pipe that comes out, it's only a vent pipe. It's not actually meant to have a fire in the firebox. And so that's what you got to have checked by the chimney sweep. Okay, would that be who you would talk to about converting it over yep. to a standard fireplace as well? Correct. All right. Thank you very and, much. Sure and, and please understand, even if, it, even if it was built without the proper chimney and everything, that can be added. Okay. It's That's just a matter good. how much you want to pay for it is all. <laughs> That's always the... That's always the kicker. <laughs> it's a it's a minor thing called money that we all have to work for, you know. <laughs> Thank you. I sure appreciate it. Take care, Ralph. And and you know, there's that and that's the way it is with a lot of home things. Anything can be fixed for the right dollars. It's a matter of what's it worth to us to get it fixed. As far as a chimney sweep, hey, make sure you get one who is a member of the guild because that just means that they've been through the proper training, has have the uh, experience and certifications to do what needs to be done to do the job right. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.